is a call to actions. I am your host, Bobby Vaughn. Today is podcast number 21, and I'm going to be reading to you guys two articles that a call to actions in collaboration with justthenews.com has released regarding the nuclear whistleblower lawsuit at the Portsmouth gaseous diffusion plant involving a nuclear fraud enterprise. So, without further delay, I will go ahead and read these articles in the order of which they've been published. Midnight Rockets Whistleblower Lawsuit Reveals Toxic Releases by Ohio Nuclear Plant A Whistleblower Lawsuit filed by former workers at an Ohio nuclear plant, have revealed new details about disturbing practices during the plant's tenors at the Portsmouth gaseous diffusion plant, including the alarming process dubbed Midnight Rockets of releasing toxic chemicals into the atmosphere. According to the suit, Portsmouth would regularly and purposefully vent raw uranium hexafluoride, transuranics, heavy metals, and other toxic chemicals into the atmosphere from the roof of the process buildings. Filed against U.S. Department of Energy nuclear fuel contractors on September 3rd in the Southern District of Ohio, Eastern Division, Walburn et al. versus Centris Energy Corporation et al., alleges criminal conduct, gross negligence, poisoning of nuclear workers, and contamination of Ohio communities in Pike, Scioto, and neighboring counties with radioactive isotopes causing cancer clusters, injuries, sickness and death, as well as loss of property values. After the plant was fully brought online in 1956, Portsmouth quickly became the single largest electricity consumer in history. Portsmouth required massive amounts of electricity in order to process uranium for nuclear bombs through the Cold War, then later on for nuclear power plants. According to the plaintiffs, the amount of government-approved nuclear and chemical wastes discharged by the site to the air, water, and soil through intentional releases from 1954 up until the present day was shocking. According to a report from the Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, the plant was contaminated with various radioactive materials, including uranium isotopes, neptunium, and plutonium, and toxic substances, including arsenic, beryllium, and chromium, have been detected. One uranium isotope, uranium-234, is abundant in the Portsmouth plants and is approximately 10,000 times more radioactive than the plant's profit-generating isotope, uranium-235, used in nuclear reactor fuel. 
In a meeting held by the Department of Energy at the Comfort Inn in Piketon, Ohio, referred to by local whistleblowers and activists as the Comfort Inn hearing, former Assistant Secretary of Energy David Michaels admitted, quote, It is my understanding that the Department of Energy has known since 1953 and 1954 that there was plutonium contamination, not just plutonium, but neptunium and transuranic contamination in the reactor feed that came from and was transferred from Paducah, end quote. When whistleblowers, now plaintiffs, Jeffrey Walburn and Charles Chick Lawson worked there, the Portsmouth plant received shipments which were labeled as either low-enriched uranium or, quote, natural uranium, both of which were allegedly contaminated with unnatural and highly toxic radioactive isotopes such as plutonium and neptunium. As little as one one millionth of a gram, also known as a microgram, of plutonium is enough to cause fatalities when ingested or inhaled. The contaminated uranium supply came from foreign countries, particularly Russia, and other U.S. nuclear sites, such as the Honeywell Uranium Conversion Facility in Metropolis, Illinois, via the Paducah Gaseous Diffusion Plant in Kentucky. The Portsmouth plant was built to enrich uranium. It was not built to process plutonium, neptunium, fission products, etc., which were byproducts of recycled uranium from nuclear reactors. However, the suit alleges, contact with plutonium-laced shipments has occurred since the very beginning of Portsmouth's operations. The discharges and releases occurred in sync with these shipments. According to the suit, quote, these frequent releases were always done at night and thus acquired the name Midnight Rockets. These releases carried highly radioactive materials wherever the wind would take them. Security personnel were required to be up on the roof when these unannounced intentional releases were performed, and they would be covered in the escaping materials. End quote. An internal investigative report from the Department of Energy's Office of Oversight, Environment, Safety, and Health acknowledged certain risks of airborne hazards. Quote, Due to the monetary and strategic value of uranium, a wide variety of liquid and solid wastes containing uranium were processed through a solvent extraction recovery process in the X705. These operations concentrated radioactive materials, including technetium and transuranic compounds, and posed airborne hazards from both concentrated liquids and oxide powder. The uranium oxide, U308, produced from the calciner at the end of the recovery process provided potential exposure to insoluble uranium and transuranics. Transuranics were a special problem in 1965, 1966, 1975, and 1976 when recycled foreign reactor feed in the form of UNH was converted to oxide in the calciner. Raffinate waste was initially discharged to an on-site ditch leading to the Scioto River. Later, the X-701B settling pond was constructed. 
This reduced off-site contaminated effluents, but increased on-site soil and groundwater contamination. End quote. Since operations began in the 50s, Portsmouth's environmental monitoring program was insufficient to prevent the amounts and types of toxins the plant discharged to local bodies of water. In the 70s, Portsmouth installed new wastewater treatment systems in order to reduce the levels of radioactive materials released to local waterways. However, even with this new system in place, large quantities of toxins and radioactive materials still leaked out, contaminating the surrounding environment. Liquid discharges were routine, according to the whistleblowers, and Ohio's waterways, particularly the Scioto River via the Little Beaver Creek, have long been contaminated. Quote, People who live near the plant say they had no idea all this was going on, the Dayton Daily News reported in 2006. Children swam in the creeks, and churches held baptisms in Big Run Creek. That same creek runs past two unlined landfills and near a polluted groundwater plume as it passes through the plant grounds on its way to the Scioto River. In June 2020, the Environmental Protection Agency amended and increased the maximum allowable liquid discharges from the Portsmouth's West Ditch and other runoff streams to over 10 million gallons per day. According to the whistleblowers, midnight rocket airborne releases became common practice at the plant. The midnight rockets were launched when operators needed to get rid of material fast. They would start an intentional atmospheric release by opening the vents, then pause and wait for certain indicators to lower. Then the Portsmouth workers would open the valve all the way again. The whistleblowers claim that a pungent cloud of radioactive debris was apparent. Exactly how many times midnight rockets occurred is unknown, as they were considered inappropriate releases and were not documented. Plaintiff Chick Lawson the former Occupational Safety and Health Administration certified investigator for the site said in an interview, quote, We had thousands of seals that were leaking in these process buildings. This was happening throughout the entire plant site. End quote. Lawson claims that plant managers allowed further airborne releases by running 80 foot tall exhaust fans which ran up the sides of the buildings around the clock because the compressor seals were leaking and these leaks could cause the interior of the buildings to become extremely hazardous with radioactive substances and hydrogen fluoride gas. The seals were failing faster than they could be repaired, so management would allow the continuous venting of uranium hexafluoride and plutonium contaminated transuranics to the environment. Lawson also pointed to a report that he called the Tiger Team Report, which is one of many critical evidentiary exhibits 
in the civil RICO lawsuit against plant contractors and managers. On page 10 of the Tiger Team report, Lawson exclaims, quote, The operators were wiring around the seal alarms, because if those alarms go off, we have to leave the building. Because it's going to slow down production, what they did was just wire around the alarms. So much for safety, end quote. The operator of the porcelain plant during the alleged midnight rockets time was Goodyear Atomic, now defunct. Former Goodyear Atomic personnel could not be reached for comment, and a spokesperson for Goodyear Atomic successor, successor at ports, Lockheed Martin, stated, quote, It is our policy not to comment on pending litigation. That is the Midnight Rockets article posted on justthenews.com. If you do just a, use your favorite search engine and search for Midnight Rockets, it should be the top story to come up in your search engine. And again, that is a call to actions in collaboration with Just the News, getting that out. Now, I will read to you the second article, the collaborative project between A Call to Actions and Just the News. This one is a little longer, and it was just finished. This one is entitled, Bill Clinton's Russian Nuclear Fraud Enterprise. In the latest hard-hitting nuclear class action lawsuit, Auburn Lawson et al., versus Century Energy Corp. et al., filed on September 3, 2020 in the Eastern Division of Ohio against atomic corporate contractors at the Portsmouth Gaseous Diffusion Plant, Ports, plaintiffs claim the plant was, quote, well aware of the health risks and injuries being caused to workers and the community. Defendants, some joining later in time, have operated an association in fact enterprise the nuclear fraud enterprise, going back to the early days of Portsmouth with the purpose of achieving pecuniary gain. End quote. Centris Energy, previously known as the United States Enrichment Corporation, USEC, was established as a government corporation in July of 1993, under the pen stroke of former President Bill Clinton. With the creation of the Energy Policy Act of 1992, USEC became the operator of the Portsmouth Gaseous Diffusion Plant in Piketon, Ohio, and the Paducah Gaseous Diffusion Plant in Paducah, Kentucky. Direct dealings with Russia were regulated for USEC by the Department of Energy and later the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, NRC. In the name of peace and ending the Cold War, Clinton signed a 20-year contract with Russia, the Megatons to Megawatts deal, also known as the Highly Enriched Uranium HEU Agreement. This deal allowed weapons-grade uranium, supposedly recycled from Russian nuclear bombs, 
to be reprocessed in the United States in the form of 14,000 metric tons of low enriched uranium from 1993 to 2013 at the Portsmouth, Ohio and Paducah, Kentucky gaseous diffusion plants. In exclusive declassified confidential documents, we see Daniel Poneman, who, by Clinton's nomination, serve as special assistant to the president and senior director for non-proliferation and export controls at the National Security Council, assume the position of chair of the HEU Oversight Committee, which coordinated the United States government's policy for the U.S.-Russia uranium deal. Mr. Poneman boldly states in a memorandum for Anthony Lake, quote, The HEU group has concluded that U.S. national security interests will be adequately protected in the event of USEC privatization. End quote. This document created in July 18, 1996, what was to be declassified in 2006. However, it was held in classification for an additional 12 years and 11 months, not being declassified until it was requested by our Freedom of Information Act in 2019. Evidence shows that an illegal operation known by code words Midnight Rockets was being conducted by the midnight shift on a regular basis before, during, and after Poneman's new government seats. They intentionally jetted Russian uranium and plutonium gases into the atmosphere at night. According to the Wa Walburn and Lawson lawsuit, against USEC, quote, Instead of only HEU warheads, Portsmouth received significant quantities of out-of-spec uranium fuel rods, plutonium, and other transuranics from Mayak, Russia. Mayak is one of Russia's four secret cities. This material, introduced into the process at Portsmouth, both ruined the process, which was not designed to handle plutonium or other transuranics, and it dramatically increased the radiological threat inside the process buildings for working personnel." End quote. The introduction and processing of transuranics dramatically increases the exposure threat, including both external and inhalation inside and outside the process buildings for working personnel. Yes, the threat to the community was also significantly increased by the deliberate airborne discharges and illegal transportation of mischaracterized special nuclear material. On October 3rd, 1995, Bill Clinton and the Department of Energy held a briefing discussing the release of a new report which exposed 40 years of human radiation experiments conducted by United States government agencies and the military from 1944 to 1994. During the briefing, he is quoted saying, quote, Never again do we stray from the basic values of protecting our people and being straight with them. End quote. 
By allowing American citizens to be poisoned by Russian transuranics, the president's actions go directly against his own words. Essentially, plutonium and all daughter product, products do not exist in nature and are products of fission, human-made, and are extremely radioactive and toxic. The much-intended privatization of USEC sh should have stopped dead in a regulatory oversight management conference regarding compliance on May 9, 1996. The USEC plant managers, Dale Allen from Portsmouth, Ron Gaston from Portsmouth, Steve Polston from Paducah, and J. Dale Jackson, Elizabeth Tenick, and James Parks of Oak Ridge Operations admitted to countless non-compliance acts at the plants. The Energy Policy Act of 1992 required the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, NRC, to establish yearly certifications of compliance to USEC. In this May 9th conference, Mr. Gaston, the former Portsmouth Regulatory Affairs Manager, comments, quote, In 95, we had 33 operational safety requirements violations that we reported. We chose not to implement some of the improved operational safety requirements. At the 11th hour, the systemic failure was the reality across the board. Another comment was made by Mr. Polston, the former plant manager at Paducah. Quote, We determined there were two obvious conclusions about procedures. One was that the procedures were inadequate in a lot of cases. And then, in a lot of cases, we simply failed to follow their procedures. End quote. Mr. Polston also said in the meeting that there were hundreds of instances where they had ministered, quote, discipline to lower managers and workers. Former anti-terrorism squad member at Portsmouth and now lead plaintiff in the lawsuit against USEC, Jeff Walburn, remembers instances when former Portsmouth plant manager Dale Allen would behave psychotically when administering, quote, discipline. Quote from Mr. Walburn. As a member of the SWAT, SWAT anti-terror group, we were trained to recognize apparent behavior. What was taking place at Portsmouth bordered on sheer lunacy. This was not discipline. First-hand accounts of people who were involved or know describe Portsmouth plant manager Dale Allen as psychotic and off the rails, i.e. run amok. Dale Allen's actions were assault and battery, not discipline. On his watch, falsification of dosimetry and conspiring to lie to the United States Senate occurred. Changing of medical records, creation of false logs, and altering of radiation dosimetry records in a multiple injury incident also criminally occurred." End quote. In detail, Wauburn investigates former Portsmouth plant manager Dale Allen's casual work practices. Grabbing men by their groin anatomy. Placing his fist under his executive secretary's chin, calling her an MF'er. Hitting his executive secretary in the head with the telephone. 
kicking a gray, heavy, industrial trash can over a petition, which hit his secretary in the head, sending her to the hospital with injuries. Walking on top of conference tables to yell at managers at meetings. Choking a manager in a meeting. Throwing managers from their chairs. Falling down on the floor in fits. These were not isolated incidents, Wabern states. Quote, Two incidents involved action by the X-300 Central Control Room superintendents and up to the level of John Shoemaker, assistant plant manager and head of security, Lynn Calvert. Dale Allen came into the Portsmouth work site off shift and was obviously inebriated that the guard at the main gate refused him entry and upon reflection of liability, the X-300 allowed him to come into the plant and not to drive away. End quote. It has been reported to Wauburn at the superintendent level that the assistant plant manager, superintendent, and security manager had Dale Allen locked in the, sec- in the central security vault in the X-100 to keep him from harming himself or having any interaction with plant personnel, especially in the X-300, and so to speak, sleep it off. Another incident of drunkenness had been reported. Dale Allen, the Portsmouth plant manager, came into the Portsmouth facility drunk and danced on the table after reportedly receiving a $1.2 million bonus. In the opinion of Wauburn, quote, for delivering our heads on a platter, end quote. He was so unstable, he was ordered to take anger management and attend sexual harassment meetings. Jeff Wauburn also makes a statement, quote, these allegations can be confirmed. In my opinion, how can such a man be in charge of a major nuclear facility in the middle of privatization? Some of these instances were flat out assault and battery. Who should have been responsible for plant manager Dale Allen's outbursts, assault and battery? He was a tyrant. End quote. Realluding to the manager's meeting in Oak Ridge in 1996, this same man, Mr. Allen, confesses that Portsmouth had more than 6,000 problems identified just for that fiscal year. He goes on to name a few, quote, in attention to detail, improper work practices, inadequate communication in terms of pre-job briefs, shift turnovers and scheduling, and failure to follow procedures, end quote. Also, the X-705 building had to be shut down due to a supervisor allowing an operator to improperly use a log system and not doing required calculations on radioactive contamination. Quote, the criticality safety procedures were inadequate. The operating procedures were inadequate, end quote, admits Mr. Allen. An announced nuclear criticality safety NCS inspection was performed at the Portsmouth plant during the same year. Among many findings, only 10 out of 199 nuclear criticality safety approvals had been incorporated into the training procedures and the group responsible for oversight of nuclear criticality, the Plant Operations Review Committee, PORC, 
did not have a method of approval. There was no complete mode failure analysis completed for the NCS approvals. Their own configuration management system was, quote, highly fragmented according to the inspection. Regardless of the numerous criminal acts being conducted at the plants, by July, Bill Clinton, Daniel Poneman, and Warren Christopher passed 10 CFR 76, the certification of USEC, which vetted the safety and operational performance at the plants. The United States Enrichment Corporation USEC case becomes even more ingrained when looking at the Department of Commerce and J.P. Morgan connections. An individual named William Bill Daly leaves many clues. In 1993, Mr. Daly was appointed by the president himself, Bill Clinton, to the board of Fannie Mae, a mortgage company. From 1997 to 2000, he was chosen by Clinton as his Secretary of Commerce. Through the privatization of USEC in 1996, the government corporation became exempt from any obligations to pay for the low-enriched uranium feed component of the Russian Uranium Agreement by transferring the title of it to Russia. Then, later, in 1997, USEC began selling uranium to Russia most of which was out of spec and illegal to sell within the United States. In 2004, Bill Daly joined J.P. Morgan Chase, where he became the vice chairman and also a member of the executive committee with many responsibilities, including leading the bank's corporate responsibility program. With him on board, J.P. Morgan amended and restated a revolving credit agreement of $400 million for USEC as the Portsmouth uranium plant was suiting up for cold shutdown, decontamination, and decommissioning. With, o with Barack Obama taking presidency, from 2010 through 2012, Mr. Daly rotated from J.P. Morgan to Chief of Staff under the President. In September 2010, a U.S. federal registered notice was filed stating that a U.S.-based uranium corporation was being bought out by Russia. Quote, On June 8, 2010, Uranium One, Incorporated, entered into a purchase and subscription agreement with JSC Atomred Metzolato, ARMZ, a Russian corporation, and its wholly owned subsidiaries Effective Energy, NV, a Dutch limited liability company, and Uranium Mining Company, a Russian corporation, wherein ARMZ will acquire no less than 51% of Uranium One Incorporated's common shares. End quote. Both during the Bill Clinton and Barack Obama administrations, William Bill Daly was the direct link connecting the criminal uranium enterprise, the United States Enrichment Corporation, to the J.P. Morgan banking system. With these examples being only a small fraction of a massive amount of USEC's non-compliant and racketeering practices, 
one may be left wondering. How did USEC maintain the NRC's yearly certificates of compliance from 1996 through 2011? Jeff Walburn says it like this, quote, They ground our bones to make their bread. So, what do you all think about this? How did USEC earn yearly certificates of compliance from the NRC? We have laid out a massive amount of evidence that shows they were not compliant. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that. Let me get a sip of water now and take a little break. Uh, if you got anybody wants to email me, my email address is up and out at hush.com that is up and out at hush.com and we will be continuing going on into the future many more podcasts involving these guys and anyone who's followed a call to actions know we are highly involved with these whistleblowers we've worked with them for about five years now um we, we broke their story first we uh, really gave them the launch ramp to get where they are now, working with them and document excavations and helping provide evidence and collaborating. And it's been a roller coaster. It's uh, it's been interesting. I've learned a lot. And I consider after these uh, these five years working with these guys, I've finally earned a degree in Portsmouth. <laughs> One of the best decisions I ever made was actually. Uh, leaving college to go back to uh, to Metropolis and get involved in and exposing the nuclear fraud there, which led led me to uh, Jeff and Chick at Portsmouth, and now we have a a criminal racketeering uh, class action lawsuit filed against Portsmouth. So I'll keep you guys updated as this stuff goes on. Uh, the Department of Energy has less than one month to respond to the claims filed against them. I'll let you guys know. Take care, guys. This is Bobby Vaughn with a call to action signing out. God bless. <laughs>